Welcome to another episode of the Shifting Podcast. Uh, today we are sitting here with uh, Lior Lefzerkars uh, from La Boite in Hell's Kitchen, New York. And as always, Arthur Black is with me here as co-host. Hello, hello. This is uh, pretty cool to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Yeah, this is way cool. Right, well, let's just set the stage right there. Like, um, Ed and I, uh, we're in Bloomington right now. We're at Cardinal Distillery. So if you're not familiar with them, check them out. They're a distillery. It's been in operation for about two years, located in Bloomington. So Ed and I drove down. And on the way down, both he and I were talking like, uh, you know, just new projects, new things, need a new drug, need some new obstacles in life, all that crap. <laughs> and uh, I got... It's, a, it's about an hour drive. It's we about talk an hour. There's a lot of time to kill. <laughs> we, we had to kill some time. And I got a birthday coming up. I'm staring down the barrel at 40. So anyways, that, oh, you know, it's poor baby. Of, yeah. Baby, man. Baby. <laughs> uh, 40's the new 25. Yeah. But I was saying literally like I need a new drug and I... God damn it, I think I found it, yeah. man. Like, <laughs> the seminar we just sat through here with, with Lior, and, like, I've always, you know, could appreciate how the reach of, like, the academic element of, of spice, spices. Um, but with a little bit of time that we spent listening to Lior discuss, and you're talking about extraordinary history, medicinal properties, gastronomic relevance, uh, flavor, yo, uh, the business side of it, the trade and the importation and... It just, it goes on and on. That's outside of, like, securing, sourcing, uh, preparing, blending. I mean, wow. Like, yeah, my mind's kind of blown. I totally agree. I picked up your book um, a while back, uh, shortly after it first came out, and I've got it sitting here next to me. But it's it's a great resource. But, I mean, I want to go back to, like, kind of the, the, the beginning, how you got started, and before we get really deep into the book. Um you know, you you did not grow up in a culinary family. No, I, I grew up in a, in a very kind of, I wouldn't say bad, but not very exciting culinary scene. You know, food in the 70s in Israel, in a kibbutz, was a pure mean of survival. You know, you, you went to the dining room three times a day, breakfast, lunch, dinner. Uh, some pretty miserable people who were, you know, in the kitchen and just cooked because that's what they needed to do, not because they cared much. And... I think it, you know, went on in Israel for uh, a good 20 years or so until the early 90s or late 90s where finally people turn around and say, hey, you know, we actually have some awesome produce. We have some great dairy. Uh, we can cook stuff, you know, let's make it fun. And I think um, globally the whole conversation about eating and drinking as a source of pleasure, aside from sure. nourishing, and both could work side by side. So. I, to me, personally, it was a, a progress seeing it from that uh, time of life and then traveling throughout the world and discovering new cuisine and understanding that, you know, there's a lot of similarities between countries. Right. Uh, and yeah, spices I mean, being one of the common grounds to a lot of cuisines because at the end of the day, spices grow in very few regions around the world, yet the whole world pretty much uses them in different applications. Yeah, so, I mean, and you talk about in your book, um, you know, kind of being relatively close to like Tel Aviv and like having access to like some other cultures. And then also, I believe you talked about your mother traveling a little bit and like shellfish and, you know, kind of yeah. bringing some other things into like the your your I don't, I don't want to say daily diet, but, you yeah. know, at least expanding your palate out. Oh, absolutely. You know, in, in Israel, still being a... a a country where most of the food is, is kosher for, for religious purposes, but 
living in, in Rome for a year and living in Brussels for four years and having oysters and mussels and, and pork and, and ex expanding my palate and my knowledge in terms of flavor um, really helped me a lot. Even if today I don't necessarily use these elements all the time, but the, the first time you have an oyster or, or a piece of bacon or a pork and you get the, the umami and the smokiness and the briny and the iodine, it helps me a lot today when I develop spices and spice blends uh, to try to deliver those profile with other ingredients uh, so that you could roast the carrots and have that beef, meat, pork, shellfish sensation with other ingredients. It's kind of learning how to paint, but what paints do you actually use? It's up to you. Right, so I think like there's so many different things to talk about, and I just I got pages of questions here. <laughs> we need another three hours. But, yeah, oh God, yeah. Oh man, don't encourage us. Um, I don't, first off, anytime I come to Bloomington, I got a fifty-fifty chance of making it home. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, if I'm a good boy, I make it home. If I'm not, then I end up on someone's couch down here. It's just the nature of the town. But um, uh, Lior, do you, uh, do you go by Lee? Or? Lior. Yeah, okay. just Lior, yeah. That's All right. right. Yeah. Uh, well, you can call me Art. We'll call Ed. Big Ed. Ed. <laughs> yeah. We'll go with that. Um, we always start off with asking um, what you had to drink last night. I had four beers last night. Uh, two of them sitting at the lounge waiting for the plane to take off and watching... Uh, the screen saying delayed, 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 and then nice. two other beers on the plane uh, because the plane was, the ride was pretty bumpy. And I was smart enough when they say there might not be any beverage service. They're like, I'm just going to have two beers because I don't know when's the next time. Right, that, uh, <laughs> right. What, uh, what time did you get in? Did you get in late? I get in at 1 a.m. Uh, I mean, by the time I got nice. to Bloomington, it was 1 a.m. And uh, after a long day of, of work and a bunch of things, so... Uh, that was my drink last night. Yeah. Uh, not, not surprisingly. I, 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 rum? I drank rum. Yeah, I had a plantation pineapple and also a little uh, Dictador, which is one of my go-tos, so I don't have to feel bad about drinking my uh, expensive backstock. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the plantation pineapple. I mean, you're not going to I think I had that uh, yeah. Did once. You? Yeah, yeah, once. Beautiful. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's great. Uh, unfortunately, I was not drinking that last night. I... Just had a simple white wine from southwestern France. It was weird. It was like a Sauvignon Blanc Vignet blend. There's a reason why they're typically not traditionally blended together. And <laughs> last night, I reminded myself why. I saw it and was like, that's weird. I'll try it. And I was like, eh, I should not have tried this. Yeah. So, um, All right. So moving on to, wow, again, I just don't. I know. I know. Like really know where to start you gave us a little about your background and just to, if people aren't familiar and, and ed had mentioned his book a few times he never said the actual book itself which is the spice companion um it is a beautiful book so Thank i mean you. it's yeah i've spent very little time in it but from the onset i mean you can look at it hold it feel it it looks gorgeous the the pictures the reference uh material in there it it, it i'm really excited to get further into it but um yeah! Wow. Uh, dead air is always some, nice. Dead, dead air. <laughs> you, you worked in some pretty amazing, amazing places. I, uh, I worked. You know, I, I started uh, back in Israel in a catering company. Really, my first kind of professional cooking experience, and uh, learned the basic. I think mainly learned that I really loved this profession. You know, of, of cooking and being a cook and. 
aside from the function of actually cooking food is the fact that I was going to serve it to somebody and, and you know, hoping that they will like it and, and delivering this pleasure it's a great to another. It's a fabulous and the, the hospitality and, and trying to always go beyond, you know, thinking for the client, even if yeah. they don't know what they need to try and imagine what would make their experience it really is. unique. It tends to engender passionate people too, you know, like there's a lot of different caveats and avenues to go down and you obviously with the spice thing kind of carved out your own your own niche, not just being confined to a kitchen or not just going down the beverage side. Yeah, we were talking about that outside a little bit ago. I'm like, of all the places, of all the avenues you could have taken, I mean, you've worked for some, several Michelin star chefs, uh, I, you're one of your early mentors, uh, Olivier. Yeah. Um, they kind of, I mean, could you, he's the one that kind of uh, kicked you off a little bit. You want to talk about that a sure. little bit? Sure. So I, I met Olivier Rollinger in Cancale, Brittany, at La Maison de Bricourt uh, back in the late 90s. Only a seven month uh, internship there. And um, not only I learned about the region, which was fabulous, but mainly about Olivier and his philosophy about using spices in a non-traditional way in the last place on earth that one would expect them to be and i learned that i could learn on my own i mean he was a guiding mentor figure uh, in a smart way that he forced me in a, the most positive way to do my own research and studies always being in the background making sure that i was kind of going the right direction or showing me other avenues to follow and really trusting myself and my guts and developing my own identity and understanding you can only be you because the rest are already taken, you know. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the kind of mentor you want, though. Right. Like, that's, that's what we were talking about. Like, I mean, you know, we, a, lot of, a lot of chefs out there are, are really striving to work even as a sous or line cook at a Michelin star restaurant. But... You're able to go through that and find your identity and find who you're calling, which the spice really, really called to you. Uh, the spice. Dune, Dune references aside. <laughs> have you seen the movie Dune? I have not. Oh, you yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. The movie is terrible. The movie is terrible. Yeah. Not, you're just a fucking Nazi when it comes to it. <laughs> well, you're, not supposed, you're not supposed to call people Nazis, okay? That's bad. Yeah. But he read all the damn books. He doesn't like the movie. It's a brilliant movie. It involves a particular spice called melange. It's important. But that's a that it's it's a very special niche that you found. And is there really? I mean, there's nobody else out there really doing what you're doing at the level at which you're doing it. I'm not certain. I mean, there might be there other. <laughs> no, there I maybe I, hypothetically. There might no. There there are there great spice companies that do spice blends and single spices. And I have a lot of respect for what they do. I think where I chose to be a bit different is the ability to work with both uh, professionals and home cooks and having maybe a different conversation with both worlds but without my background of, of cooking and baking for nearly 20 years i don't think i would be able to to be where i am um, a lot of other companies you know specializes import export processing and they might do things better than i do but i think what i where i think i might be a bit different is listening and understanding of, of who I'm, I'm talking with and try to find the best perfect solution for them uh, and showing them that they can apply to their everyday lifestyle versus me uh, 
giving them a product that will change things. So you've mentioned prior, and I, I've I've heard you talk a couple of times, and obviously today as well, and I've read your book. Uh, you know, you talk about uh, you you said that's what differentiates you from some of the other spice producers and blend producers, but. I mean, you're not fucking around when you say that. Like, I mean, you you won't just take a phone call from somebody that's like, "Hey, I need some spice, uh, make a blend for me." I'm, I'm opening this restaurant. I, I mean, you really you took several years to even develop relationships with some of these Michelin star chefs to make sure you knew who they were innately, and to give them something that they really uh, would speak to what they do and to what you do, and it's a very symbiotic relationship. Yeah. I think it's you know it's important for both sides, both from the the new chef who calls and say, "Hey, make a blend." Uh, he needs to understand me. I would like to understand him to see if it's a fit, uh, and if it is a fit, how can we eventually, if we were to do a blend together, you know, I I need to know that person and what they are, who they are, what they like, what they cook, what's their style. It's sometimes a process of nearly therapy for the both of us and for them even to for the first time ask themselves that question that they've never asked do they like green pepper or white pepper do they prefer paprika or smoked paprika and nobody's ever asked them that question they just have a list of ingredients that they think they need to have and I want to be that person who just asks the right question so that they can um, give me the, the best answer or sometimes they say I'll get back to you because I just don't know I think that would be very that I would assume that's more common than not because when I listen to you talk and I read your book and I hear your speeches or your seminars, you know that's that's what I think about as a home cook. Um, apart from being a restaurateur, like really thinking about it, and I, that was one of the I've told everybody um, whom I've spoken to about your book um, that I love the fact that you start off with like before you go any further. You need to start thinking about your salt and your pepper, or as you refer to, your sodium and your heat. You know, yep. what are you adding to your food? You really think about that before you get into using weird, you know, like lemongrass and galangal yeah. and all these exotic flavors. Really think about what you've already got and get the very best of that and like hone your palate into that and what you want to do with your food. And I think most people don't do that, you know. Yeah, I think, you know, quoting, you know, a, a very famous chef, uh, Pierre Gagnier in Paris, who, you know, I like a lot. He, he, I listened to him speak once. He said, you know, cooking is very simple at the end of the day. It's salt, pepper, and technique. And once you master these three, uh, you're good to go. You might not be super creative, but at least you could execute very well. And I think before, like you very well said, before we run to all of these exotic products, it's it's the basics. Do you Is it the right pot for you? Do you have the right cutting board? Is it the right knife? Is it the, the, the right uh, outfit? Do you feel comfortable, you know? And I often challenge myself and I, I don't blend the same way if I'm at my store or at home. There's okay. something about the surrounding. You take any bartender or any shelf, uh, chef and put them in another place, in another restaurant. There's something different about the plating about the way they cook and it's important to understand all of these things uh, to become better at what you do. Could you mention um, a little bit more about your store and uh, website sure. where maybe people can find your, so, your uh, spices? 
I uh, founded La Boite, which is located at 72411 Avenue in Hell's Kitchen, New York. Uh, we're, open to the, we're open to the public. We're not just uh, reserved to the industry. Uh, open to the public Monday to Friday from 10 to 7. Um, we ship uh, all across the world, uh, laboitenny.com, or over the phone, 212-247-4407. Always happy to see people at the store, take the phone calls, really uh, nearly, I wouldn't say 24-7 support, but <laughs> as much as we can. Well, I just to dial a little bit back, I, I loved um, how you do tailor your, your craft to your customers and that sense of integrity and integrity of product and the relationship. I think it's a very intimate thing, but you also, you don't come off like an elitist, you know, like, I mean, because I... Ed was talking about some of the people he's making these blends for, and they're they're really amazing world class chefs. But you you speak in a way that kind of deconstructs the romanticism, and you, you said something earlier um, during the seminar. You know, spices for everyone. Spices are everyone's property, and there's no there's no class, origin, culture, or country that has ownership in them. And I'm as excited to talk to a three Michelin star chef about you know, uh, a molecular gastronomy dish or, or something very rare and unique, uh, like an Ortolan game bird that, you know, from France. The same way that I am excited to talk about, you know, matzo ball soup or meatloaf or, or tuna and, and casserole. that's the way it should be. I mean, whether it's cocktails, whether it's wine, I'm a huge advocate of let's take this industry and let's make it available and accessible to everyone, not just people concentrated and this city or that city, but really kind of... Uh, it is, and, and I think... It's all food and beverage and flavor at the end of the day, yeah, you know? And, and sitting here in Cardinal, it's, you know, we, I spoke earlier with, with the guys here about the, the Terra Gene and the upcoming product, and when we started this, I said I would love for with this thing, as the same way as that any dish that we work on or any recipe, is that you can enjoy it on your own, at home, in a restaurant, any time of day, uh, so that it makes sense. It doesn't have to be complicated. I, I don't mean to say that it shouldn't be sophisticated, right. but not complicated. So it should be layered and interesting and fascinating, but easy to use because... Well, I mean, if an individual wants to, to sit over their cocktail or their glass of wine or their spice or their food preparation and really meditate on it and block out the rest of the world in the dinner party, you know, go for it. But if someone just wants to enjoy it, like... I don't think people should be obligated to excessively interpret what they're consuming. You know, like in wine tasting circles, you know, someone will pour this bottle of Clos de la Roche or this bottle of this or that. And that, that's great. It's nice to afford those wines and drink those wines. Sometimes I just want a fucking glass of wine. Yep. You know, like, yeah, I, I have in fact, I'm not to say that I want a bad one, but I don't want to just like, I, I, I lost a lot of my life. In the glass, and I don't mean like, hey, hey, you know, like drunk in the glass, although my friends wouldn't agree with that. I mean, when people were in social settings and they were actually having conversations and talking about life and love and poetry and history, I'm just in the corner in a glass, just like, ah, I smell these esters and that fruit and this aromatic compound and blah, 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 blah. Do that, but don't forget why the hell you're doing it. It should be about enjoyment. It's funny know? that you mentioned that because that's I was just speaking to a local journalist here uh, a little bit ago about uh, this, the the parallel that I see between that, the kind of wine world and the spice world because after hearing you talk, it does sound intimidating, right? No, because absolutely. there is terroir. 
yeah. with spice. I mean, uh, you know, paprika from different countries, different even within a country. Sure. You know, uh, different terrain and and all that. Your spices are going to taste different from wherever you are, but and it can seem a little bit intimidating. But, you know, uh, after reading your book, I mean, the first thing I did was pretty much toss out all the bullshit out of my cabinet. <laughs> yeah, I just want to go smell some shit right now. <laughs> right. Um, and so, you know, kind of starting at the basics and, and making sure that you're, you're just being mindful, I guess, you know, uh, going to, towards that Buddhism principle, like being very mindful of the spice that you're adding to it and, and making sure that, uh, you know, you, you don't have to overanalyze you no, know, because I, the wine yeah. world can be very intimidating. I think that's why a lot of people don't get into it. They just like, well, there's no way I'm ever going to understand Pinot from Sonoma versus Burgundy versus Pinot Nero, etc. But you know, and the, those those intricacies are out there if you really want to go down the rabbit hole with a gentleman like you. But uh, you, you know, you don't need competition. You know, yeah. we don't need another guy opening a spice <laughs> shop. <laughs> no, I, I think it's it's important to to know to some extent. Uh, it shouldn't be complicated. You shouldn't be dumbed down or somebody should preach about things you, you don't understand. And I think the people who succeed, whether they, you know, are high-end winemakers or, or, you know, or, or any other beverage, if they find the right communication to explain their message, I think that's it. And I think there's an occasion for everything. And there's that wine dinner where you're going to open a, a really nice wine bottle. I think that as long as it's done with the right attitude everything works for me you know and i've had some really cheap wines um in in a fancy dinner and the other way around and and i enjoyed both you know and uh if you disregard the price or the tag if you can afford it you know uh and that's fine but i think uh, the beauty is to understand that y you could do it at any given time there's no special time for celebration you know, it's it's every day, every hour. That kind of leads into what I wanted to ask, talk about next, and ask you about was uh, you're you're very famous for your spice blends. Um, you source really beautiful spices, etc. But you are not a spice dealer. What you are known for is is your blends that you provide to restaurants and consumers and whoever wants to buy them. These are not exclusive items for just the elite. Um, you know, like going towards that and and not saying this is a uh, a spice blend for fish or this is a spice blend for chicken or this is a spice blend for beef and i think uh, a lot of us fall into that kind of uh that mistake of like well where's I my laurier seasoning <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. my crab boil <laughs> now i think in everything i do in the blends that i do i always make them they're inspired by something but there's really no specific usage or purpose because I would like for as many possible people to use them in as many possible ways. And uh, just as an aside, after you wrapped up your seminar today, I had a, grabbed a cup of coffee in the back, and then I hit your spice rack that uh -huh. we have here, and uh, I added a few of your spices uh, to my coffee. Okay, and it was amazing. I mean, oh, good. it really elevated yeah. the coffee that I had, and that. I don't want to say it was an aha moment because I definitely was already aware of like what you preach about sure. that, but it was definitely eye-opening because I never really uh, had just thrown some spices into my coffee in the morning. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, it, I wouldn't say that it always works. Sometimes you try a spice in a preparation and well, it's yeah. not a hit, but that's okay. I think culturally, There's, like, 
different areas are not like South America. You'll see people that'll be adding different spices to, to their coffee. But even their- even then, you know, uh, the the fact that's kind of uh, was a bit strange to me at the beginning when I was looking at other cultures that use spices, and I wanted to learn from them. I've learned something really strange is that they use them in very particular ways. So if they make a garam masala, it will only go in certain dishes. And if they make a Yemenite blend, it's in that preparation. And I find it a bit sad in a way. I mean, it's great. I have a lot of respect for the know-how and tradition. But if I was to make a blend and call it garam masala, chances are that somebody will not put them into an apple pie. Yet, when you think about a garam masala and you think about uh, whatever is the pumpkin spice that I still don't know what it means in the holidays, it's the same thing. You know, just one decided to call it pumpkin spice and one decided to call it garam masala. So I think that if we remove the labels from it and say, hey, it's just a great cinnamon clove spice, like, okay, great. Pork loin, shellfish, apple pie, margaritas, you name it. And you do. And you, I do. You, you do remove the names. I do remove the name. I wish I could have products with no labels. I have to put something on them. Number one through <laughs> number 127. Yeah. Is there a similar, like, uh, name or more familiar name um, for Urfa like I, I saw it U-R-F-A I had not heard of that so Urfa is, is a short of, of an, a town in Turkey uh, it's the short version of the town of, of Urfa where they grow these um, large scale pepper a bit like a poblano pepper oh, okay. that They're they very, dry it's very meaty very savory they dry them out in the sun it's a process called sweating where they dry them out in the sun and at night they cover them with like a, a nylon or like a, a plastic uh, cover. So they retain a lot of the moisture and the oil. They have notes of nearly wine, tobacco, chocolate, uh, chocolate to them yeah, with kind of like a smoky note. And it's one of these kind of mystery elements. I think you can add Orfa to anything pretty much. So uh, kind of to add to his seminar, Leo uh, brought probably four dozen different spices and had those out for people to, to, to sample and, 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 and check out. Ed putting them in his coffee, whatever. Um, they were all extraordinarily high in quality. Like the aromatic compounds of them was amazing. And I assume you brought those with you. Have you ever like been traveling with some of your spice and like been busted by... TSA or something. No, so a bag of dehydrated <laughs> so far. I think I only the only funny experience I had was many years back. I had long, very long hair and a couple of earrings, and <laughs> I came back from France on a vacation, and I brought like five pounds of stone stone ground flour, so I can make <laughs> I can I make bread. Right. Is this my, yellow cocaine at no. my parents, and they pulled me they pulled me aside just because I was I had long beard, long hair. I came on a connection flight from Amsterdam, and. <laughs> Of course, you're coming from us. They, they put me in the small room, and the guy opened the suitcase, and he just started laughing. And he said, "You're either really dumb, or or you're onto something. You just go home, kid." <laughs> you're like, I'm just trying to make some cookies. What's the problem? I mean, you you just hit it right there, and I didn't want to interrupt and point out, but like that, those notes that you just gave of the of the urfa. Uh, that's that is another parallel that I'm drawing to the wine world because I think a lot of us don't think about those aromas that we get from a particular pepper or spice and, and I guess even to backtrack so you your definition of spice is a little bit different than what I think most people use I sure mean, you're typically talking about like anything dry anything dry whether I buy it dry or whether I dry it myself um, 
is a spice to me because I, I see the word spice as seasoning. It's an element that I could use to season food or beverage. Dry. I, I really put the emphasis on the word dry because otherwise it opens it up to sauces and condiments and that that's debatable, you know, but right. I kind of made my own definition. It's anything dry, hollow ground is a spice. So, I mean, we, you've got even rose hips on the, on the shelf over there. I mean, we work with shellfish in right. dry format and fish. And, you know, in, in, if you think of Japanese culture using bonito flake, mm -hmm. that's a spice. You know, Absolutely. they season their food. It doesn't grow on a tree. And, uh, but that's, that's okay. And, so, and I think that's what makes it even more interesting to more people at home or in restaurant is all of a sudden it opens up so many possibilities. Yeah, and, and like when, so when you're smelling these, I mean, you're really picking up on a lot of notes. Like you do in the wine world, you, you put a glass of wine to your nose and you're like getting blackberry notes, a little bit of leather, a little bit of uh, this, that, whatever. Uh, and, and, and Right, yeah. exactly. And I think it's going back to that, that kind of Buddhist ideal of, of mindfulness, you know, I think we just smell cinnamon and say, okay, it smells like cinnamon, which as a side note, most of what we smell half, half the time isn't even cinnamon. You know I mean? <laughs> We're talking like cash or whatever, yeah. but uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's very aromatic and it does have those, not only aromas, but like you talked about, like when you taste it on your palate, you get a little bit of acid out of this pepper or less out of this one or more spice or more smokiness. And, like really uh, paying attention to the to the flavors that come through and what you want to put into your food, which is one of the reasons you don't put fish mix or whatever. Sure, you know. sure. I think it's in order to become a better cook or a better eater or a better bartender or winemaker or whatnot, you have to, as part of learning your craft uh, and, and being a home cook is, is a craft. You have to, you master it to some degree, even if you don't have a recipe. There's no other way but knowing your ingredients. You know, these are the things that will make or break a dish and, uh, and, and understanding and the, the ability to reproduce the same over and over again and getting to that level. Uh, whether you're super creative or just very traditional, it doesn't matter, but it's the execution that matters. Plus, I think the, the, the more mysterious emotional aspect of spices that it really does something to you that you cannot put your hand on it. It takes you, you know, I try to define things to a certain point and from that point on, it's whatever your gut feeling is, whatever you, you taste, you smell. Don't you think that's a little bit of an uphill battle though? Like, because we have such a cultural identification with certain spices and like personally, I absolutely love Middle Eastern and North African cooking because the, you just, it's so mind-blowing when it comes to the number of spices and how they're treated with a lot of respect. And I think that fades away a little bit when you get into like Western Europe and the United States. And I think that's changing a lot. But, there, you know, like you said, garam masala. Like if you call it garam masala, you're, you're kind of relegating that to one usage or sure. what people are familiar with. Um, you, you know, I mean, how, how other than breaking down the name of what you're calling it, how do you break down those barriers of what we culturally identify a spice with? I, it's, it is challenging, but I think there's, there's a couple of, of answers to it. First, I think a, a great thing that's happening in the United States since I moved here at least 15 years ago is what I call the grandmother factor, is that when I came here, uh, my colleagues, my chef friends, the last thing that they wanted to put on the menu is what they ate at home. 
what their mother cooked or grandmother because they're kind of ashamed of it. They wanted to be modern, hip, look at other countries. And I don't know when the change happened. Uh, it wasn't a sudden change, but they said, I actually love my mom's food or my grandmother. Am I going to do the same in a restaurant? No, I'm going to get inspired by it. I'm going to take my Korean dish and update it a little bit and my Polish dish and my pierogies and my sausage and my meatloaf. And, and I think that's, and with that comes spices because as you dig into your heritage, you discover the world of spices and all of a sudden they're not that strange to you. You know, and you say, I don't like spices, yet I drink, you know, a beverage or I eat a certain sauce. Oh, my God. <laughs> Party. Was that sparkling water? So light, yeah, that we, was it. Yeah. Uh, so we just had a cork uh, just blow up in front of us. There we go. That was shocking. So, so I think that even if you say that, I said, I just, you know, I make a crab boil and I put all spice. They're like, well, you're using spices and it has caraway and it has this. And I didn't know that. So maybe I do like caraway. Maybe... I think I don't like cinnamon because all I know of cinnamon is this chain of spiral baked goods that you can smell for miles that is synthetic cinnamon. But when somebody shows you a chicken dish with cinnamon, it's it's mind-blowing. So it takes some work. There's some education to do. We've gone through the coffee wave and the cheese and the wine where we're, we're in a better place where we can talk about it. And, and you said it very well earlier about the just wanting a glass of wine. I also walk into fancy coffee stores where they ask me about latitudes and what pressure and, and how many bars oh, and man. how many dances they should dance around the machine. I was like, I just want coffee. You've been drinking, you've been drinking coffee in Seattle too often. And, <laughs> and I just want coffee. But I think it's important sometimes to go to the extreme to come back backwards a yeah. little bit to see oh, that the absolutely yeah. you have to know the rules before you can break them <laughs> kind of yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, you know i mean learn the classics before you kind of yeah. reinvent things um i wanted to go just a little bit back because you were talking about the you know the the art of people in the industry as far as cooks and and home cooks and and, and raising the bar and understanding and you know ed you were talking about um you know our Talking about spice and talking about <laughs> was I uh, <laughs> at some up, point? <laughs> God damn it! Uh, well, you're talking about being able to dis- like smell a spice and discuss whether this is meaty or gamey or whatever, as they do oftentimes in the wine world. And there are a lot of people out there that are simply uncomfortable with articulating taste whether it's coffee or whether it's tea or whether it's wine or whether it's spice. And I think your work and I think this book like kind of helps kind of, you know, open people up to like, yeah, let's, I mean, let's be able to discuss, let's be able to articulate. Like if, um, if you're not comfortable with tasting something and, and recognizing certain aromatic compounds, you mentioned in your, your seminar that the, the nose is a muscle I've always said the nose is a muscle. It's an organic spectrometer. The more you build it, the more it gets better at locking in on particular identities and qualities and aromatic compounds. Uh, The more you know what to do with those flavors and to match them with other flavors and to move forward in your craft. And we're just, we're in a different culture to tie back to to Ed's comment about the cultural disconnect of uh, being comfortable with spices or more exotic spices. We don't live by our nose anymore, you know. We don't, like, step outside as hunters and gatherers and go, danger, 200 feet downwind, you know. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's a neglected yeah. sense that people in our industry, food business, wine business, beverage business, um, you know, kind of work against. And we're, you know, we appreciate the tools we're given, but, like, 
again, I just want, after listening to you earlier today and then looking through this book, I just want to go smell a bunch of shit. No, for real. This is, uh, that's completely genuine. We talked about this uh, while everyone else had your attention. This is, uh, not only is it a beautiful book, uh, and and, uh, your wife is absolutely correct. It's beautifully laid out. Great use of white space. If you're a graphic designer, definitely pick it up for its beauty, but it makes sense. It's written for everyone. You chose 102 spices uh, to include in the book. Is that, is that yep, correct? Yep, 102, right. yeah. 102. But what I really I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast here that uh, you first talk about salt and pepper and learning that, but you also address the fact that you chose 102 spices that you very often like find in your grocery store. They're, they're common. They're easily accessed uh, because there's no reason to like kind of Here's this one spice that you can get in Java for, for like three 30, days a year. Right. <laughs> You're reading my mind. That's exactly what I was going to say for three days a year. Right. I mean, that doesn't make that doesn't help anyone. It doesn't. You know, and I, I gave it a lot of thought and we've could have gone way beyond the hundred and two. Uh, I don't know if the hundreds, but definitely 200 or so. And I, I didn't feel it would make justice because I my goal is for people to get their hands on this book get them excited to cook, get them excited to learn, and realize that maybe 30% they already have at home. I don't want to have people buy the book and then start running to buy exotic things. First, see what you already have and, and let the book be your guide, your companion. That's why I chose the word and say, okay, I happen to have some you know, clove in my pantry for quite a while. What, what the hell do I do with clove aside from you know, mild wine in December? Or can mm-hmm. I actually make a chicken fajita? Can you know, I make, uh, uh, you know, a meatloaf with it. Can I do... We a call those fajitas down here. Fajita, okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the fajitas. Can I make a brownie with it? Uh, can I make myself a drink? And that's why we picked these 15, 20 everyday simple ideas. You already have a lot to begin with at home before you start running. All right, so the, the brownie mentions taking me down another path. Indulge me. Can you think of a particular surreal experience with because I mean you're going out to various countries all over the world and sourcing these things and we just talked about like practical spices and available spices but give me a story man give me you and Andy in mountain range like chalking up dehydrated deer penis with oompa loompas like there's got to be some kind of crazy surreal like just out there thing that wouldn't happen unless you're in your business I I agree because like I, I, and I said the same thing, and I wanted to ask you about that as like, well. Some Indiana Jones spice in, in, in type my shit. mind, like I know this is 2017. Like in my mind, I intellectually I understand this is 2017, but there's still the part of my brain that says you're on the spice road. Yeah, you know, it's I don't know if it's sad or not sad for for many. It's it's no longer exactly that way. There's a lot of electronic communication. Right. I, you know, I don't wear a straw hat, a cane, and, you know, have a machete and... and you don't go. have your man purse, the, no, the, the satchel? No, don't own one of Monocle. those. Yeah, you know, and, you know, and even if, to me, exciting discoveries could be walking in, in a field that's with, with a young farmer who's pretty modern and, and, and savvy in technology, but discovering... Um, it wasn't necessarily a spice, but I went with, not too long ago, to the Met to... The, the Boston area to see a farmer that's a friend and I had strawberry potatoes so I know it sounds weird it's they don't taste like that they have the dye color and uh, 
they have some fruity notes to them and we pulled it out the ground with with my friend Anna Sortun and we're both like two kids you know sitting in the middle of the field you know a bit wet still pulling out these potatoes from the dirt and she was like here have a slice I go like you're out of your mind it's a raw potato you know I know all my life that you don't eat raw potatoes and she was like check it out you know I ate a raw potato we didn't even wash it it was just like you know scraped off the dirt it was a mind-blowing experience to me you know I don't know that I will have another strawberry potato out of the field these are the type of experience that I live for yeah. they don't have to be in India they could be in, in Boston they could be you know, they really can be and it could be in anywhere or eating fresh hops uh, for the first time and it's like why doesn't anybody cook with hops and and you know and, yeah. and all of these kind of conversations and uh, so these are the type of experience and occasionally I will go you know to Bali or to Indonesia and and will be you know shown some mysterious clove bud and uh, and then get really inspired by it. I, I don't think I have like a, a crazy story of being trapped three days on a, on a, a raft in the middle of the Amazon. Uh, You're so disappointing, Arthur. Yeah, I, I would tell you this, you know. He's wanting to see my here favorite. that you've been in Iceland finding something yeah. dug under the permafrost. No. Absol- with an axe in hand. Yeah, with Absolutely. an axe. I would say, you know, I, I often, you know, people ask me about like what my best meal or my ever best thing. I think one of my most memorable eating experience and I've done quite a bit was in the middle of the Amazons uh, everybody all my friends went to for a hike or something and I stayed back in the hotel went to the local uh, restaurant in the village and just order a deep fried fish with plantains and a beer and started seeing the whole staff like the kids running back and forth to the grocery store and I asked with my broken Spanish what the hell was happening he said well we don't actually store anything at the restaurant so when somebody comes in we just go and shop for it That's uh, which awesome. was pretty That's amazing to tell you that it was these most spectacular fish or plant there was something about that moment in that time with sitting alone in that restaurant and that perfect fried plantain that it's, it's remains experience. to me it's, it's yeah, so it's, it's transformative it's, it's, and it transcendent and I try to with through the spices and my spice blend to take people to the Amazon or to Bali or to Indiana for that matter without going anywhere <laughs> Without coming, going to Indiana. Coming to Indiana without having to come here. Well, we can sum that up. That, wait, that's, that's for a different uh, That's a different, that's a different show. There's yeah. a transcending quality of anything made um, with awesome ingredients. Yeah. If something has integrity as a product, it can transcend and it can be a vehicle to take you. Like, to me, that's a defining characteristic of wine. Like, if you can taste an Italian wine and it tastes of Italy, if it, it can and move you there. I'm completely in agreement with you, but I'm going to take it one step further and I'm going to think, not think, I do think, uh, I'm going to iterate that I think that spices have the ability to do that more so than even wine. Like, because when you smell certain spices, it really does kind of move you to a particular period of your life or a place where you visited. And I know that kind of is a it's contrary to what we've already spoken about. Like, you know, it's not only for this place. It's not only for the Middle East or North Africa or whatnot. But, I mean... I would even exaggerate. I would say, you know, you cannot stay indifferent. I And I often say you don't have to like it. That's fine. That's totally fine. I mean, you, you'd smell a hundred glasses of wine unless it's corked. And even then, most people don't know what a corked from a non-corked. You're like, yeah, it smells like wine. However, with spices, I think, or with other food products, like, oh, wow weird i don't like it uh fermented 
spoiled, rotten, sulfur. Um, it's very, you know, if it's a good quality spice, of course, if it doesn't smell like anything, then obviously it's uh, past its time. But uh, that's, I think, that the, the staying indifferent to it uh, encourages you to react to it. I want to run and cook something or I want to close this jar and run away. Uh, I don't know if, I don't remember if we talk about it in the book, but um, many years ago, somebody brought me a jar of asafetida, which is uh, a resin from Pakistan or India. I opened the jar and I nearly threw it back at them. I was so upset. It smelled horrendous. It was over rotten garlic with fermented rotten um, onions in a, the, the most offensive way I can think about. I very closed it very and uh, nothing that you'll get excited cooking with. And I put it back and I had the good sense of keeping it at least. And a couple of months later, ate um, a spinach, an Indian spinach preparation with some paneer cheese and fabulous. And there was something about it that I couldn't—I have never eaten before. I, I couldn't say amazing or not. It was just the first time. And I, I asked the chef. He said, well, we use, of course, asafetida. And I was like, you got to be kidding me, man. It's that disgusting. You put it in food. And he was like, that's what makes this dish so amazing. And... To me, that was one of these key moments in my career uh, that it might not smell or taste good as is, but if it's put in the right environment, it's that mysterious element. I, you know, not to be cheesy or corny, but it's, it's a lot of people that I've met in my life that at first seemed like the worst, most horrible people that when they were in the right environment really shine through. Well, I mean, I think that's one of the things that's amazing about cooking or amazing about blending spices or blending wines or, or just playing around with different flavors is that conceivably you can create something that tastes totally different, uh, better in some cases, or just different than the individual base ingredient. Sure. So it, it's creation. It's, it's, it's artistry. So you mentioned in your seminar uh, that you've kind of recently... Because you, you spent, what, 20 years as a chef? 15 yep. years? 20, yeah. 20 yeah, years? 20, 20, 20 yeah. years? I, I've been doing my homework. I pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you, but you recently have discovered the, the world of cocktails. Like, obviously, cocktails have evolved. They've come a long way in the last 15, 20 years. Obviously, I mean, we, we wouldn't be here if, if it wasn't for that fact. But, uh, you know, the first thing that I took when, when reading your book was, like, a lot of excitement towards going to my bartenders and, like, I've got some ideas. There's some cool things that I think that we can do here. And it's not new. Um, you know, as anybody uh, that listens to this show regularly knows that, uh, you know, I'm a tiki freak. And yeah. so we, we very yeah. often are, yeah. grind <laughs> you know, we're always grinding fresh nutmeg onto the top of our drinks or inside our drinks and whatnot. But, I mean... You know how that plays into cocktails is is very important and we're sitting here at cardinal spirits in bloomington indiana which for those of you outside of indianapolis or indiana um this is the home of indiana university um so if you watch college basketball i'm guessing you probably know what it is but the um cardinal spirits has released a gin called terra spice so terra is one of your spice blends and they are making a gin with it, which we've been drinking for the last four hours. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I mean, I, I'd like to hear a little bit about how you're approaching the cocktail world now, because that's a little bit of a different attack than you've 
been making in the last 10 years. It's a little bit more recent. Yeah, Correct. The bar so, is the new kitchen. Yeah, the bar is absolutely the new kitchen, the bar, and I think a young generation or just even, you know, the, the current... People understood that in order to make a great cocktail, a great drink, or even a great uh, spirit, you have to use the best components or ingredients. So my way of doing it is encouraging bartenders and, and distillers and beer brewers and whatnot is to look at their preparation and break it down to the basic ingredients. And when you do that, all of a sudden you find spices somewhere in that recipe, whether it's the more traditional, you know, uh, rim garnish on the glass, whether it's the component that goes into spirits and say, okay, if we want to stay traditional, let's at least source the best possible single ingredients to make a gin you know, for instance, uh, or a grain for uh, a bourbon or, or something or, or something like that. But um, this spice blend of the Terra Gen from Cardinal is beautiful. Thank I you. I really like it. It's, it's very citrus forward. Is that you? Is that so lemongrass? There is no lemongrass. The main component of the uh, Terra Gin is a wild mint okay. that I import from Israel. To my knowledge, only grows there. It's, it's not the mint that, uh, you know, most people know of, of buying at a market or the supermarket. It has complex note of a little bit pine and flowers and, and some lemon balm. And uh, to bring a certain element of, of slight pine and resin and bitterness, I added a berry called kubeb that comes from uh, Indonesia uh, that has nearly a grapefruit rind kind of yeah. uh, flavor and scent to it. And, you know, what ins really inspired me is to make um, a gin that um, is uh, approachable, uh, easy to drink as is, which, uh, you know, from uh, my few experiences, you know, it's for the most part, it's in, uh, it's in a cocktail or drink. And I, I wanted to see if we can make something that you could just open a bottle of, of Terra Gin and, and sip it as is. Uh, before dinner, as dinner. I also work Which a lot. Which is what we're doing right now. Exactly. Moment, yeah. <laughs> and I also think a lot because I cooked for so many years is like, can it work with food? Mm. You know, and I hope to see more uh, cocktails, more spirits as part of, of the food program, not a disconnect between I'll have a drink before dinner sure. or I'll have a drink after dinner. What about a drink during dinner? Where it's not, it's, it's a beverage as well as a wine, as well as a beer, as well as sake. Uh, I hope. Sake. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a whole nother. Well, that, that you're 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 really good at this uh, the broadcasting thing because you just segued me right into my next question because I heard through the grapevine that you're developing an amaro uh, with Cardinal Spirits here. Correct. So I, you know, as I started working with more bartenders and people in the industry, I've stumbled upon amaros, which is definitely nothing new. It's been done for a very long time in Italy, and. Um, I just started ordering Amaros here and there just to see what they are and learned that they actually primarily made with spices. And then one day I said, wait, we know a thing or two about spices. And then we started working with the guys at Cardinal and I reached out and I said, well, you know, we'll do the gin, but will you ever consider an Amaro? And it was like, well, funny, you should mention that it's on our list of things to do. And so that was a pay perfect, you know, kind of, of opportunity to combine both, but I think here again, you know, we're just in the early stages of doing it. It's going to be the same approach of the Terra, meaning that can you have an Amaro with your appetizer? Can you just go home at the end of the day and have a glass of Amaro without having to add six more components to a cocktail? Um, 
if, is it kind of a freestanding beverage that you can enjoy um, with some unique flavor characteristic and, and a lot of them inspired by the region, by Indiana. I'm personally very much looking forward to that. I mean, you don't see, I mean, you, you definitely see a lot of like, quote, craft vodkas. Vodka, definitely not my uh, favorite spirit of choice, but and gins. And Some such, people but, out there like to drink it. But you don't see a craft distilleries putting out Amaro's, that's for damn sure. Um, and I'm really excited about that prospect. I, I know we're running short on time here a little bit. Um, I wanted you to talk a little bit about, because you, you addressed it in your book, and you you briefly kind of brushed past it, talking about you know some of these exotic locales where people are growing spices. Do you see a future for spice cultivations and or cultivation in places like uh, the Midwest? I mean, obviously this is farmland. We're in the what you know the Corn Belt mm-hmm. is what we're often referred to. Uh, I mean, do you see we've we've got a, a, an amazing you know diversity of climate in the United States and even South America? Um, do you see an increased number of kind of like craft farmers, not right, craft farmers. Is that even a word? I don't even know. <laughs> just farming, uh, you know, right. Just I mean, farming. I mean, you know, small farmers really like going back out and, and trying to grow uh, some of these spices and putting the um, effort uh, forth. Are you finding free range ginger root? <laughs> 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 Grass fed ginger. Yeah. <laughs> I am. I'm all about it and all for it and there's not an opportunity when I talk about my hope of I don't think we can substitute the the, the entire supply of spices into the United States with domestic because I think some elements climate wise will just do poorly here but sure that's I think the terroir that we were talking I, about. I think with the basics of the fact that we today buy uh, coriander and, and mustard seeds from Canada right they could grow here. Right, and, and I've grown. I, I grow my own coriander uh, at home every season. And, and, and I don't think there's a need to run, you know, nothing against Canada. I think they're great and, and everything is great. But Screw you, uh, Justin yeah. Trudeau. <laughs> and, and when you go to the south and, you know, I had the experience. I, I went to um, Lafayette, uh, Louisiana a couple of years ago and met with a guy whose passion are peppers. And uh, over a couple of beers in his pepper plantation, I said, you, you understand that it's absurd that you're known for cayenne and all of these uh, spices. You use Chinese cayenne. That doesn't make sense to me one bit. You could grow cayenne here. Avery Island, the Tabasco uh, factory, is a couple of, of miles away from there. Uh, I hope to see more and more, whether it's out in the field, greenhouses, Ginger, which grows fantastic in the U.S., by the way. Uh, Galangal, which is similar. Lemongrass. Uh, There's some local farmers that are doing ginger. That's pretty yeah. gnarly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say the like only... Ch- said, we grow kefir lime in my kitchen, you know, yeah. be, just so, for my restaurant So alone, today we buy kefir lime leaves from California. We buy the macruto, sure. the, the, the fruit itself, from California. We dried... Um, it's hard to find, I'll tell you. I'd like to know your sources. Because every time I ask a Thai chef, where do you buy your, your lime leaves and... Uh, we get them year-round from uh, California. No, no one tells us who their exact yeah. supplier is because there's, it's in great demand with Thai restaurants, which, which I, of course, I own a Thai restaurant, but no one wants to share their source because it's not uh, a hot commodity. No yeah. one. We really buy curry leaves. We buy kefir lime leaves. We dry them ourselves because nobody wants to do it. The challenge is not so much growing the spices, which is one thing. It's the drying yeah. aspect because yeah. it's, it's labor-intensive. It takes space. But I really uh, like to be optimistic and think that one day there will be uh, more growing in the United States. Right. So we just came off a really cool topic of like craft 
farmers. Um, I got to go to a really bogus question. I'm going to apologize for it. You're good. Um, but one, you'd mentioned peppers in Louisiana. What is like the world's hottest spice? Because I know people say like ghost peppers and things like that. Oh, you mean like literally spiciest? Heat, yeah, spice. right, little like heat, like the the piquants to like you know make mm-hmm. you sweat, kind of you know. Uh, I mean, there's there's a couple that are out there. The, the ghost pepper being one of them. There's a couple of, I forget the names of them uh, right now. That like surpass by like maybe They're fifty thousand yeah, or hundred. Carolina Reapers. Those are insane. You know what? I like the idea. It's not something that I even get near because sure. I think to me, and no offense, I, I, I respect people who that's their gig, that's their thing, that's what they like. Uh, it's that's, not mine. Like I like heat for heat's sake if it adds to a dish, but to just. Eat shit to it's, make you. It your blows your hurt. palate in a, in a way that after that nothing else. It's like, are you going drinking to, to enjoy yourself, or are you gonna get drunk? Right, right, drunk. Right. right. Where do you want to go? <laughs> so, um, and there are occasions for other. Yeah. There. Um, another quick. Uh, there's an application here because I've always wondered this. Um, is there any kind of advice on gauging the heat content of a jalapeno? I mean, I'll, I'll try some jalapenos, nothing. I'll try others, extremely hot. I wish, I wish there was an app or something that will tell you, don't buy this, not hot enough. I yeah, mean, it's, right, um, right. you know, they usually say the smaller, the hotter. Uh, okay. So that's one thing. Um, some will say that the uh, depth of color, you know, uh, the, 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 yeah, darker, the darker they get. I don't really know. Uh, what will kind of yeah, define sure that? There is a. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've talked to chefs and like you know, it, yeah. it's, it's yeah. said size. It's, it's a lot color. of old wives' tales. Said dried, not dried. I just yeah. didn't know. It's, you know, uh, no. Well, before we wrap up here today, um, I just wanted to, to kind of give a, an extra little shout out to Lior because uh, before we sat down here today, we found out that uh, Lior is also a metalhead. And uh, oh, really? we, yeah, so we talked a little <laughs> bit about Metallica, Metallica. And the fact that he hasn't seen him live, and uh, they are they are going on tour here soon, which I will not see him. I saw him in '97, but uh, I, w- I haven't seen him it's since been then. Years since I the, saw the him. The closest show is is Chicago, and the, the seats available sucked, and I wasn't going to. I am yeah. going to see Iron Maiden a couple times this summer, so I'm I'm looking forward to that. But uh, I'm just to... finishing my documentary about Lemmy, so that's I'm, I'm nearly <laughs> at the end. <laughs> yeah, see, I mean, I th- you and I are going to be close friends. Yeah, yeah. This may be the the first time that we've sat down and had a had a, had a conversation, but. Uh, I think we're gonna know each other for yeah, a number you're of good years. Company. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. He's yeah, a great heard... source of inspiration to my work. I think, yeah, for real, right? Like when I'm working, I need that. I need some thrash metal. So actually, funny enough, I don't listen to music when I work. I listen really? outside of it. It bothers I me. I need it. I no. need that. Wasn't it like when we pulled in the parking lot today? Wasn't Holy Diver on the radio? We were listening to Dio. Yes, <laughs> yeah. We were listening to Holy Diver. No, no, no. It was uh, Rainbow in the Dark. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah so but no, still no, Dio. You know, RJD, little RJD. Those masterpieces. Uh, Leor, we always wrap up every episode with the same question uh, because we're always curious and we're also adding to our catalog. Uh, hangover cure. You've got to have some great ones. Come on, like, what spices do we need to start drinking? To? Medicinal elements of spice. <laughs> the smart answer is drink less. <laughs> We've been told that a few times. <laughs> yeah, we have. And I stay away from sweet wines. Yeah. That's, huh. my, that's what kills me. 
But in terms of curing a hangover, I have yet to find. I will be, get back to you. I could so never. I first tried. honest guest. <laughs> no, but that's interesting. You mentioned staying away from sweet wines, but I mean, just from like a flavor perspective, I mean, the role of, of sweetness and wine with spice and heat and everything else in your world. I mean, there's some really awesome combinations out there that that you know uh, require wines with a little bit of residual sugar to them. Don't get me started on Riesling. I'm I'm being very I have yet to find that magic solution. A no. lot of rest, water, and 24, 48 hours, depending on wow. Okay, how bad well, it is. You can always tell who our guests are that are over 40. Yeah, because yeah, like, <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah, I was like, I need I need 24 to 48. <laughs> there's there's no other. I've got I've got a regimen, but it. I don't know if I'm. Uh, it it could be uh, psychosomatic. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, you know, as we're wrapping up, this has been awesome. Like I could, we could make this a three-hour podcast easily. easily. I, I've got a thousand questions I haven't even asked. Yep, I didn't even touch the on surface, them. but you know, thank you very much for coming to our. Thank you guys for having for, me. This yeah, was I, I fascinating. What you do. Thank you. Keep at it, man. It's it's one more arena in the overall gastronomic world where we just kind of need to keep deconstructing these misconceptions getting more people to appreciate spice food beverage wine beer sake everything absolutely i mean this is uh you really opened my eyes a lot between your book and and hearing you talk so I, the book is one thing but i highly encourage all of you out there that are listening to if you have, if you get a chance to hear leor speak in in your town or even close it's worth the drive uh we drove about an hour and 15 minutes to get here today and it was absolutely worth it i would have driven three uh, because I feel really energized to take this information back to my home kitchen uh, and, and definitely my commercial kitchens. But, you know, for those of you home cooks out there, I mean, this, this book, which is The Spice Companion um, by Lior Lepsekars. You got it right. You know, yeah, perfect. Uh, yeah. Uh, he's the founder of La Boite. Uh, get on his website, find him on Instagram, find him on wherever you need to, social media, buy the synagogue, book. churches, yeah, synagogue, stadiums. Hit him up at the synagogue. <laughs> That's it, right? Yeah, hit him up at the synagogue. Like, hey, excuse me, sir. <laughs> Do you happen to have a book on you? But, I mean, buy it. You can get it on your website, right? Absolutely. LaBoiteNY.com. Okay. And that's spelled... Uh, L-A-B-O-I-T-E-N-Y.com. Yeah, it's not LaBut. <laughs> <laughs> so get on there. Grab this book. It's absolutely amazing. It's not it, Even if you don't care about food whatsoever and you don't use it, it's a beautiful book. It's beautifully published. Um, give some props to, uh, to his wife, who gave him compliments on the layout. But, uh, again... You know, thank you so much for thank coming you, on guys. the show. Um, for those of you that want to find us online, we are at Shift Drink Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. On Twitter, we are Shift underscore Drink. And uh, you can always rate us on iTunes. Uh, but we're available uh, streaming on our website at shiftdrinkpodcast.com. And then, of course, you can always uh, subscribe via Google, iTunes, RSS, etc. Find us, rate us. And uh, we'll keep bringing on super cool people like Lior. And, and I very, very, very much look forward to having you on again. Uh, either the next time we're in New York or the next time you're in Indiana. Because uh, like Arthur said, we have about two more hours worth of questions. <laughs> yeah, Thank absolutely. you. Absolutely. So until next time, guys. Namaste, bitches. Namaste. Cheers. Cheers.